0: Lend us your ears right here on Star Style. Be the star you are. The party starts now.
1: Well, it is Star Style time. Yes, we want you to do it with style. And Star Style. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Star Style. Be the star you are. My name is Cynthia Bryan, and we will be celebrating another special hour of power together today. So I'm thrilled that you have decided to join us. So welcome, all you power partners. We are coming to you live on the Voice America Network. This is is the Empowerment Channel, where we really strive to support positive, meaningful conversations and just to help you be the star that you are because we believe that you are the writer, the producer, the director, and, of course, the star of your own movie. The Miracle Moment for today is brought to you by Be The Star You Are. We really encourage you to go to the website, org, where Be The Star You Are is bringing you this radio program and our radio program that is for uh, young adults, express yourself—that you can hear on Tuesdays at noon Pacific on Voice America Kids, as well as many outreach programs, including Operation Disaster Relief and book review programs. So, be thestarur.org. We hope that you will decide to make a, a um, donation, and do remember that on uh, the first. Tuesdays, well, I'm not sure if it's the first Tuesdays, one Tuesday usually of every month. Maybe it's the last Tuesday of every month. There's usually a Giving Tuesday, and um, oftentimes PayPal or Facebook will do matching donations. So be aware of that, and uh, donate to Be the Star You Are or to your favorite charity, because every dollar counts. So the Miracle Moment is from Wilma Esquinas. A friend is someone who sees through you and still enjoys the view. And I want to uh, say that I think that this brings to mind exactly what our show is about today. So I'm very excited about this show because this is going to be an animal show. It is going to be all about our family of friends of other animals in different species. But we are all interdependent. Our guest in segment two is going to be Jennifer Skiff. Her new book is called Rescuing Ladybugs. You might have read her book, The Divinity of Dogs and God Stories. She's an award-winning journalist. She's traveled around the world. She's a correspondent or was a correspondent for CNN, and she divides her time between Australia and Maine, and she's really about passionate about animals and their welfare. And you are going to really love the interview and these inspirational encounters with animals that have really changed the world. Uh, I'm, I'm going to also be talking about gratitude because I think that's something that we just have to learn how to appreciate and count our blessings. So stay tuned for the entire hour of power right here on Star Style, be the star you are. So do you know what our ecosystem engineer is? Do you know what that particular animal is? I was reading National Geographic and there's a there was a wonderful wonderful article that got me um, really wanting to look into it a little bit more. So uh, so I wanted to bring this to you. It's about beavers. So if you close your eyes and picture a healthy stream. Perhaps you're going to imagine this really crystal racing creek. Its course narrows enough that you can leaf across. It's just so pretty. It might be fit for fly fishing magazine. But that means it's missing one of the most crucial ingredients in a healthy watershed. And that is beavers. By felling trees and building dams, beavers who are endowed with really sharp teeth, webbed feet, and rudder-like tails, they capture water to expand their aquatic domains. Now, when the European colonists arrived in North America, they found just puddles and puddles of as many as 400 million beavers. And by the way, beavers are rodents. Uh, You know, we always think rodents as rats, but, you know, rodents also include rabbits that we all think are very cute and cuddly. An estimated 250 million beaver ponds once interrupted North America's waterways. And what they did is they turned free-flowing creeks into fertile wetlands that supported creatures from salmon to moose. But in the early 1600s, fur trappers arrived, and they absolutely pillaged the continent's streams. They shipped millions and millions of pelts to Europe to be made into beautiful, fashionable beaver hats. So it wasn't until the 20th century that conservationists began to help beavers recover. And that was a task that often required a lot of creativity. For example, in 1948, biologists packed, I thought this was such an interesting fact, 76 beavers into crates and then parachuted them into an Idaho backcountry. Now, 75 of those 76 survived, uh, which is really, really quite amazing. And these days, there are as many as 15 million beavers that are swimming in North America's waterways. So that's about 150 times increase in the species. Now, as beavers have rebounded, scientists have learned that beaver-built water features really help address our environmental problems including drought, pollution, biodiversity loss, climate change, and other things. I mean, beavers are kind of magical. And we'll probably ask Jennifer about the beaver story from her book, Rescuing Ladybugs, when we get into our segment, too. But let's just, let's just discuss a few of the things that beavers do, because I think that beavers, you know, get a bad rap. First of all, they filter pollution. Every year, America's farmers use 20 million tons of synthetic fertilizers. Now, obviously, not all farmers are doing that. On our farm, we we use everything is organic. But in a lot of farms, they're still using synthetic fertilizers because they want bigger crops, bigger fruit, because that's what the public is demanding. Now, when those chemicals reach the sea, they breed low oxygen, which is like a dead zone. And it, so what happens, it makes a dead zone devoid of uh, marine life. And then by trapping runoff water near its source and encouraging bacteria that convert nitrates to a harmless gas, what beaver ponds do is they actually help avert those kind of disasters. Now, in Rhode Island alone, researchers discovered that beavers could cut agricultural pollution by, get this, To 45 percent, and that would keep the estuaries healthy. So, beavers filter pollution. The next thing is they create wetlands. Wetlands are cradles of life, and in some arid regions, they support 80 percent of the species, despite covering just two percent of the landscape. Now, beavers, whose dams broaden streams, they submerge meadows, and they raise water tables, they are the ultimate wetland engineers. So that's why we call them ecosystem engineers. Between 1944 and 1977, Acadia National Park's wetlands doubled. And that was all the handiwork of beavers that were introduced into the park. So yay beavers. They help adapt to climate change. Um, as the climate warms, more precipi- precipitation falls as rain instead of as snow. And that runoff directs, uh, well, it actually is directed right into the ocean rather than gradually melting throughout the summer. So what happens is where there are beavers, by relocating beavers to headwaters on public lands, where their ponds can capture rainfall, it's going to keep the streams as uh, keep the streams fuller as our planet gets hotter, and we've definitely seen that. They also help with storing groundwater. The weight of beaver ponds forces water into the ground, and that recharges the aquifers that were depleted at a breakneck ne- uh, break, break pace. In the Canadian Rockies, for example, scientists calculated that beaver ponds raised the water tables by half a foot. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot, six inches, but it really, really does. Some uh, researchers estimate that ponds hold up to 10 times as much water below ground as above ground. So, pretty cool beaver stuff. And nobody really knows this stuff, right? They also can prevent floods. Now, most people really associate beavers with flooding. They think that their ponds actually... You know, build up these catastrophic deluges by slowing and spreading and storing water, but the reality is just the opposite. They prevent those catastrophic deluges. In flood-prone England, research has found that during rainstorms, we just had just a little bit of a glitch here at the studio, and no uh, worries, I just want to get back to how beavers prevent floods, because people really associate them with flooding, but actually their ponds help prevent uh, catastrophes, because They slow down the water, and they store the water. In flood-prone England, researchers found that during rainstorms, a complex of 13 beaver dams reduced runoff by about 30%. So that's total proof that uh, architecture of beavers, they prevent widespread floods, even as it might submerge local fields. Now salmon, they sustain salmon because salmon are vital to the Northwest ecosystem and to Native American cultures, of course. The rodents that create deep, cool ponds and slow water side channels in which the fry can rest, they can feed, they can shelter from predators. And in Oregon and California, scientists are building artificial beaver dams to help endangered salmon recover. All really cool. And I'm just going to give a couple of last things. First of all, storing carbon. Just as the forests suck carbon from the atmosphere and sequester it in wood, So beavers tap carbon and trap it in the form of organic sediment that settles to the bottom of their ponds. So before the beaver population was decimated in the Rocky Mountain National Park, their complexes stored 2.7 million megagrams of carbon, the equivalent of what's trapped in 37,000 acres of forest. So the final thing is it benefits birds. Beaver ponds furnish habitat for countless species, from boreal toads to otters to trout. And some of the most important beneficiaries are our flying friends, like wood ducks. They breed in beaver wetlands. Uh, Swans, they like to nest atop rodents' lodges. And songbirds, like flycatchers and warblers, they perch in stands of willows that are irrigated by the rising groundwater. So when you think of beavers, or when you see a beaver, or when you hear about beaver ponds, say hooray we love beavers because they are really going to help our climate well you're listening to Cynthia Bryan this is Star Style Be The Star You Are when we come back Jennifer Skiff the award winning journalist with her book Rescuing Ladybugs will be with me so stay with me I'll be back in a bit
0: Be The Star You
2: Are Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment
1: Well, we are live again, show business star style. It's rescuing ladybugs time with Jennifer Skiff. She is the author of Divinity of Dogs and God Stories. And she's been a globe-trotting journalist around the world for CNN. And uh, as you can tell from just probably the name of the book, she is passionate about animals and their welfare. She's joining us from Australia, and I am so excited because she's done so much as a spokesperson for charities about the life of animals. Welcome Jennifer to Star Style, be the star you are.
2: <laughs> Cynthia, I'm I'm honored that you asked me to be on your show and I, I love what you're doing in our world to help others. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it.
1: Well I'm gonna just say ditto 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 because you're the person out there who's really, you know, going around the world helping not just humans, but our animal siblings. You know, the the animals that we are also interdependent with. And you've created so much positive change. It's it, I, I, When I read your book, I mean, I, I just, I, I don't know, I just had goosebumps all over. I loved it so much. Rescuing Ladybugs, Inspirational Encounters with Animals that Changed the World by Jennifer Skiff. So, first of all, uh, we have to, uh, of course, address the title of your book because when i saw rescuing ladybugs i loved the title because i am always rescuing ladybugs especially from swimming pools or lakes because in i'm in california it's hot and especially and we have a lot of fruit you know trees and roses and that means there's aphids and the ladybugs love aphids but they get thirsty and they dive bomb pools and ponds and then they drown unless somebody rescues them. So I was. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like you, as a child, loved these little red shelled insects with blood, uh, black spots. So tell us about how you came upon um, titling your book, Rescuing Ladybugs.
2: Well, I think the world over, everyone's had the the same uh, fairy tale type of story, and we were taught by our parents or or, or adults who, who took a liking to nature and uh, and us. Uh, we were taught the ladybug story. So, if a ladybug landed on us, it was good luck, and we were supposed to blow her gently back home uh, to the safety of her family. And I I do travel the world a lot, and when I came up with this idea for this title, I wanted to make sure it was a global uh, story. And it is. It is. And at that time, you know, when we were kids, we were being taught empathy and compassion for the tiniest of species, uh, uh, just an insect. And um, so this book actually is... Rescuing Ladybugs is about people who have shown extraordinary compassion for other animals and in doing so have created change in the world for all of us. So for me, it was the perfect title.
1: You know, it's interesting, too, in... What, one of the things that you've done in every chapter, when you interview the different heroes, I want and and heroines of the story, is you ask them the question: "If you ever rescued a ladybug?" And some people say yes, loads of them. Other people say no, but I would. But everybody knows the ladybug story. It really is. Um, it really is ubiquitous. It really is a global phenomena. That you know, ladybug, ladybug fly away home your house is on fire you know <laughs> <laughs> right I like to leave out that second part. I do, I'm too, talking especially about this because especially I don't know California. who started it. that. But. We're on <laughs> we're on fire here all the time. So I like to say I have to like to change that. You know, I like to say fly to inspire <laughs> because your children are home. <laughs> mm, that's a good idea. Let's do yeah, that. Yeah, a really good idea. <laughs> all right, let's let's get to how you got started with your great love of animals and. The fact of uh, you start your story off, it just touched my heart so much with chapter one with Buddha and the bear when you were in Laos and um, uh, you were told don't walk down that path, which of course you never tell somebody who is strong like you, don't do something because you know you're going to do it. And Mm. you encountered the, the bear, the bear's. Uh, Will you start with that? And uh, and I don't know, this obviously wasn't the first time, but this definitely was a life-changing moment for you. It was. I had always, like
2: many people, connected with my pets, you know, dogs and cats, and had a beautiful experience from them. But this book really is about how people connect with a species of animal that wasn't a pet. And I was in, it was 1998, and I was in the country of Laos, researching a book uh, for a book I wanted to write about the Vietnam War. And I was at a cultural park with my boyfriend at the time. And I had a government minder because it's a communist country and uh, journalists are uh, are watched very carefully as Hi. to what they're to do and i you know john john yelled at some point don't come down this path and i did and there were bears in um they were imprisoned in five cages are placed around a statue of buddha just heartbreaking, and, heartbreaking. Well, it, it was heartbreaking, heartbreaking but you know we see these things um all the time in Asia, particularly when I'm traveling there. But it wasn't until, you know, I walked up to a bear and I just looked him in the eyes and he had one paw in his mouth and he was crying and there were tears, tears pouring out out of his eyes. And at that moment, I, I truly connected and felt his physical suffering. It was Hot and it was horrible and his water was green and he couldn't even reach it and it it was bad so anyway the bear um, while we were connecting he handed me the paw that wasn't in his mouth and he said telepathically look look at my paw and around it were all these blisters these rounded red blisters and so I asked my minder who asked the zookeeper what what was on, what was wrong with his paw? And the translation came back to me that that is where people put their cigarettes out. And in that moment,
1: oh my god! I, you know, oh, I moment, mean, I just, I, I just cringed when I read that. Mm, mm.
2: And, well, John said to me, uh, uh, "There's nothing you can do about this. You can't save every animal in the world. Let's go." And I said to him, huh, "I can't. You can't leave." Not. I can't not do something about this. This has been presented to me. Mm -hmm. You can can look away or you can understand that things are put in your path for a reason to help you grow spiritually. And And that
1: bear was there put in your path so that you would do something. That's
2: right. And, um, however, having said that, you know, when you do um, set forth to make something right, you will find, and I've found this throughout my life, that there are an are, is an army of people waiting to help you. And that's exactly what happened. I worked with the communist government. I uh, solicited all my friends for help, and they and they they in the U.S. I have friends, and in Australia, and they all came together. And as a team, we raised the money and built the first bear sanctuary in that country. And Uh, That's huge. It's just huge. (laughs) It it was a process. But, you know, it was kind of, it's one of those things that when you do set forth to do something that's right, um, good, good will prevail. And it was, it happened within uh, 24 months. And that bear was released, and now there are uh, 23 bears in that sanctuary. So it's it's uh, all that. But that was the moment for me, and when I decided, when I, I had actually a, a two book deal with my last book called The Divinity of Dogs, and it had to be part memoir. This next book, and I was wondering, you know, how do I uh, write something that is enlightening and inspiring? Mm-hmm. Uh, about my myself, and, and I started thinking about all the people as an animal advocate that I have met along the way uh, in my life and worked with, and I started asking them, did you have an epiphany, you know, with an animal that wasn't your pet that created this change? And much to my surprise, I don't know why it was a surprise, they did, and so this story um it, you know, these are many of these stories are never been told stories about world leaders uh, who have created sweeping changes for animals, and it's about their moment of connection with an animal.
1: And that's what is so amazing. I mean, first of all, what I took away, and uh, for our listeners who are just joining us, we're speaking with Jennifer Skiff. Her book is Rescuing Ladybugs, Inspirational Encounters with Animals that Change the World. Is My takeaway is that when you have a passion for something and you see a wrong that's being done, uh, it gives you a purpose. And when you're so passionate about something, you have your, your wagon starts rolling. And other people will join you once you have a wagon rolling. That is for a positive, um, purposeful event. And what could be more positive than making sure that animals, just because they're in the wild... Uh, They're not, you know, they're not these zoo things that were just to be played with, that we have to have respect and they deserve dignity and love and uh, good care. And this is what you did. But creating that sanctuary was just, it was monumental and you did it so quickly with the help of all these people who stepped forward. I mean... It was, it was. It's. I congratulate you. I was just like bow to you and to all the people, Jennifer. I was so Thank impressed. You. Well, again, you said that you. Um, the book has all these pioneers, basically, who really, really care. And um, because my daughter Heather Brittany is very much into elephants, uh, that I wanted to um, to have you talk about Carol Tomko because she was one of the. Uh, launchers, I guess, of Animal Planet, right? And um, right. could you tell the story with her, with what happened with her and the the elephant, and the whole idea of um, what went on in Botswana? Because that was some, that's well, every story is amazing. I you know you asked me in an email if I had a favorite, but I can't. It's like choosing a child. Mm. <laughs> all so good, but yes, well, if you could talk about Carol. That'd be great. And you know, because you, you were, she was at the discovery was. Uh, or offered a job at the Discovery Channel and then created The Animal Planet. Right. Well, Carol, it's funny, uh,
2: is a great friend of mine and I started out in television with her in New York City on a, on a... program called Crime Watch Tonight, and uh, we were in our 20s, and we were helping run this program. It was really quite funny. I know. That's
1: amazing. I know.
2: And she went on to go to Discovery, and I went on to CNN at the time. Uh, She was with Discovery for uh, a couple of decades in um, uh, very large roles and helped develop... Uh, animal Planet while she was there, but um, she has recently been with Vulcan Productions in Seattle, which was Paul Allen's um, baby, if you will, mm-hmm. and he he's, you know, a visionary um, and a, a real game changer, and she had, well, she was the head of production there and was doing uh, a couple of uh, movies, films, if you will, about elephants and um, the work being done to uh, save them from extinction. And one, there was one thing that was going on, and she saw this sidebar and decided to film it, which was a birth of an elephant yeah. that um, wasn't in the wild. Uh, it, it, it was a wild elephant, but they had the opportunity to, to witness and film a birth and I think she said it was the first time um, that this had ever happened and how.
1: Because it was at a camp, right? That Abbe camp. In it, in
2: yes, of the mm-hmm. camp mm-hmm, uh, where they protect elephants. Right. And uh, she said the experience was game changing. She ended up creating a film about it. and And in creating that film, she brought it to the rest of us. So in. Carol's an interesting story in the book because she has spent her life um, teaching us and educating us through television and film about about animals. And everyone in the book has a very unique story, but I thought, you know, here here she was, a friend of mine, starting out as as, as real juniors in New York City, and how she's gone on to change the world because education... Uh, through television and through film is so important because the majority of people in the world don't get to uh, witness animals in their natural environment.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and you know, what kept recurring in the book, and this is such a sad thing, and I, I was really happy to read. That many governments now are planning or have have it on their books to outlaw certain things by certain dates, but the whole idea of you know cutting off tusks or the the different things that they do, especially for these Asian countries that they think that are either aphrodisiacs or that they help with bile, you know whatever it was, that oh I, you know the milking, the bile, all that thing. Do you, do you have any feeling why Asia, I know it's centuries long, why Asia <laughs> is so prevalent in this destruction of animals? I mean, because it seems, I, I know a lot of countries do not care and there's poachers everywhere and, you know, they're poached so much in Africa. But Asia really seems to be the people that pay the money what causes people to continue poaching and killing animals for whatever product that they're going to uh, To sell to these Asian countries. Do you have a do you have a, a sidebar about that? <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Well uh, This is traditional so it, it's traditional it's habitual um, it's passed on through generations and the The positive news, you know, I I hate to harp on the negative because there's so much negative going on in our world right now, and it's quite debilitating. It is so to right. lo- to look at the positive is that pharmaceutical companies, um, in Asia and around the world, have developed alternatives and healthier alternatives mm-hmm. to. Uh, <clears throat> Using products like bare bile. Bear bile uh, does have properties that do help. Ha- that does help people, and um, but to be able to mimic it in pharmaceutical form, and uh, even in a better, healthier way uh, that's cleaner uh, than torturing animals for for their lifetimes is is the great news out there. And it's important to note that we in the world feel a a bit of animosity, I would say, and and anger toward these traditions that um, provide uh, a financial market to basically destroy the species in our world and it's debilitating, but at the same time, you know, China has animal advocates as well and animal welfare groups and animal rights groups, and they're working within the country, and it is working. I mean, we have a beautiful story um, from Jill Robinson who founded uh, Animals Asia, and um, she talks, you talked, or she tells you about how she's working with other groups to um, end, for instance, you know, uh, shopping, uh, grocery stores from selling dog meat.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, you know, they're trying to just close the doors. And these things take time. I mean, I, I do work It does in-
1: take time. It takes time <clears throat> because, as you said, it's generations and it's been passed down as normal. And so... We have to get it to the abnormal, and this is from the chapter called Bear, which uh, which Jennifer interviews Jill Robinson, and this is talking about the, the bear pit and the, the bear bile, and now there's these great substitutes, but go ahead. I, I cut you off there. You worked in. Go ahead. Oh, no. I was just saying, um, you know,
2: I do work in uh, Washington. I, I I work uh, as a volunteer for the Humane Society of the United States, and I am one of the representatives for the state of Maine, and so I go uh, to lobby, if you will, to talk to my senators and representatives and ask them to create change, and here in Australia, because I actually live in both countries, uh, I, I go to parliament, and I do the same thing, and I will tell you something. Sometimes it's like hitting your head against a brick wall. Uh, the to create change federally in the United States is extremely difficult, extremely difficult. It's such a process, and there's so many games that are played, and uh, so much, uh, you know, it's what, frustrating. what will you
1: do for me? It's so right. frustrating. It's, it's a back scratching, Right. If right. you, if you exactly. help me, I help you. But the bottom line is you're there for the protection of the animals. And it's not about, it's not about money and it's not uh, about grandeur and it's not about fame. It's really about protecting the species, all species, because when we protect other species, we protect ourselves as well. And you have to remember in this quest to create
2: change is that people who profit from animals by exploiting animals, they're the ones who have the money. So they're the ones who have the lobbyist. And when you're a volunteer and you're working for a charity or representing a charity, you don't have that money. So it's up to all of us who really love animals to activate, to to activate our compassion and understand that the odds are against us because it boils down to money in the end. Mm -hmm. And... um, and that's, you know, that's that's what this book's about. This book isn't, um, hopefully, a sad book. People say, yes, they
1: shed tears, but they also laugh. And oh, no, it's a fabulous book. And the book, when she says <laughs> this book, the book is called Rescuing Ladybugs. It's by Jennifer Skiff. Her website is jenniferskiff.com, and Skiff is spelled S-K-I-F-F, jenniferskiff.com. No, the book is uplifting because... What people will take away from this book is there are many people out there that are just like you and I that really care and that we all just have to learn to that one person can make a difference no matter how small that difference is and just step up. You have a story in there um, that I really r- loved that was Pigeon. The Wayne, is it Pacell? Was that how you say his last name? Is it Paselle or Pa? Pacelli. Pacelli. Okay, so you do pronounce the E like an Italian. Um, his story was really amazing On because uh, <laughs> uh, what he was with the pigeons. And he was literally on the other side until one day, you know, he was like, wait a minute. How, how did this happen? Do you want to tell that story? Well, simply... Uh, Wayne
2: had, like many of us, uh, connections with pets growing up, uh, but he he had a a real affinity toward helping animals. And while he was in college, he decided to witness something uh, for himself to identify it and understand. What was happening, <clears throat> excuse me, and it was in a pigeon shoot uh, in Pennsylvania, and he went with some other young animal advocates. And what he saw affected him so profoundly that he went on right away uh, to go on and create change around the world. And for, for a couple of decades has been the leader of the animal welfare movement
1: yeah it's, uh, you know, and it was so interesting. I'd never even heard of a pigeon shoot before, but I that is the story that illustrated to me how we grow up with traditions that until it's really pointed out to us, we don't realize how uh, negative they are or the destruction that they're causing. because you know this pigeon shoot basically is you you just released pigeons and you shot them. And that gets me to one of the other things that I really didn't have a lot of information about, but were these hunts that are especially in Africa, where the animals are, they're actually, um, what is the word that I'm looking for right now? Canned hunts. Canned. I was going to say caged hunts. hunts. Thank you. I lost it for a second. Uh, Canned hunts. I had. I, you know, I wonder. Was that wonderful lion that was the friend of everybody that was shot by the dentist? Was that part of a canned hunt? Do you know? That wasn't. It wasn't. That wasn't. Okay. No.
2: Uh, but no. these canned
1: hunts are. That is just horrific. It would. Ju- it, it just reminds in, me of Planet of the Apes or something.
2: Well, that goes on in the United States as well. Yes. Yeah. It, it's not just in Africa. It goes on uh, in, in different parts of the world. And it, one of the reasons I, I felt very compelled knowing all about that and the work that I do to try to prevent it, uh, I thought oh, so many people don't even know this is going on, and they don't even know that they're buying into it. when I they didn't go know to that place. it was
1: going on. I really felt when I read that, I actually thought, how, how did I get to be my agent? I didn't know that there were canned... There were these canned hunts. I didn't know that. Yeah. So I'm so glad you brought that out. My pleasure. My pleasure. I want to jump to, uh, because we're running out of time, is I usually read books from the back to the front, which I I like doing. But I, I read your acknowledgments immediately. And of course, you're such a grateful person for all the blessings that you've had. But the amazing thing was is... That the day you found out that you got this double book deal, you thought you were bit by a spider, and it turned out that you were bit by a tick, and you you terribly got the debilitating Lyme disease. How are you doing? And how has it affected you? I mean, to think of all the all the places you travel, all around the world, and right in your backyard in Maine, a tick takes you down. I mean, it's it's crazy. I know.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, it's very un, it's very unfair because I always I I think it's kind of funny because uh, all the all the people who who love the outdoors and nature are the ones who are getting these tick bites and going you know, down. I've had four. Disease.
1: I've had four in the last 2 years and I had to have surgery for two of them because I got bit on the neck right near the artery and it went so deep that they couldn't get the tick out so I had to ha- I had to go in the hospital for a tick bite. And you know, your face swells up and all that. Fortunately, I didn't. I didn't have Lyme disease, but you did get Lyme disease, and that is so debilitating. And so, yeah, it is. It's very ironic, isn't it? You, we love animals, and then it's it's these tiny, like, tiny little insects—not the ladybug, mind you—but <laughs> the tick that gets you. How are you doing? I'm doing great,
2: thanks. Uh, it, it's been. It, it, it was. Uh, I had to put. You know this book off for a little bit, because after the the bite, within uh, a few months, i could uh, I could barely speak. Uh, I couldn't uh, my brain wasn't functioning the same way. i could uh, could hardly walk. And in the end, after long treatments of different types of drugs, uh, up to uh, ten drugs a day simultaneously, and that that wasn't working. Uh, my husband, who's a doctor, took me to Germany. Where yeah. I was hospitalized for a month and was um, blasted with um, infusions of antibiotics and antivirals, and it's been uh, it's been quite the the process. Really? And uh, I will say that um, I'm I'm glad this book was given birth to. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> I didn't- I didn't know if that was going to happen, but it was really at one point my only goal left in my life. Uh, it, w- it, it, I really, I saw the end, and you know, I just spent um, this weekend um, at a swimming retreat where I swam uh, twelve. 12 kilometers in the open ocean with great white sharks
1: present you did that i mean you write about that in your book and you did it again i mean you (laughs) had you had (laughs) sharks following you and and one of the i mean my goodness i know you did it wow you go girl our, my coach
2: said, uh, okay, we're all getting in the water. And then she said, and by the way, we're not allowed to use the S word while we're on a swim retreat. And she said, by the way, um, a very large fish was spotted here an hour ago. Um, but we don't we don't feel it's here now. And I'm like, geez, I don't want to go in. But, beca- you know, I'm on a retreat with 49 other people. So I did. But, you know, I do what's called... Um, well, close to knuckle swimming okay. when you're still in the ocean, uh, but you're, your hands are trying to hit the sand um, <laughs> while, while you swim, depending on if, you, um, if if there's a water break, which you yeah. have to stay. up. But it was,
1: that is a lot of bravery. Well, I, I just want to thank you so much for joining us. The Jennifer's website is jenniferskiff.com. The name of her book is Rescuing Ladybugs, Inspirational Encounters with Animals that Change the World. We only touched on the surface of all the different stories and the amazing people that she has chronicled in this book. You can also find her at Facebook, so Jennifer Skiff, author, uh, Twitter, Jennifer Skiff, Instagram, Jennifer Swift. And so, and as you heard, she's in Australia and Maine, and I must say, you are married, John is an amazing man, and you're very fortunate that you found each other and support each other the way you do, because it's a beautiful relationship, and... Uh, I'm just so happy, and the world is happy that you are in it as well as all these other amazing people. And I know one of the people that um, endorsed your book is Dr. Bernie Siegel, who wrote the foreword for my very first book. So oh, that's so nice. Yes, and he's been, he's written stories in a couple of my books, and he's, he's, uh, he is such an animal advocate himself. He's just, oh. it's so funny. His house is like a, it's like a zoo, uh, but in a good way, you know, where where there's rabbits running through the house and all of that. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's yes, sweet. Yes. he you No, know, he's very sweet. He's very, very much into it. So anyway, I just enjoyed this book so much, Rescuing Ladybugs, Inspirational Encounters with Animals that Change the World, Jennifer Skiff, a swimmer, a knuckle swimmer <laughs> with sharks. But you will find stories about jaguars and owls and snakes and salamanders and rabbits and chickens and pigs and just every kind of animal in there, dogs, cats, chimps. The uh, idea is you want to really read this book. You'll find dragons and mantas and orangutans. And, Jennifer, you are amazing. I thank you so much for being on Star Style. Be the star you are. It was uh, so much fun reading your book. And it's even more fun getting to meet you. And I just hope that you stay well and stay healthy because the work you're doing is very important. Thank
2: you very much for your kind words. And, and, and thank you for having me on and uh, yes it's a pleasure thanks
1: well it is a pleasure jenniferskiff.com you're listening to star style be the star you are we took up almost the whole hour with uh, jennifer but that's what i was planning to do but stay with me we'll have a very quick business bite about moths and butterflies and we'll talk about gratitude for the last few minutes of the show this is star style be the star you are we're coming to you live on the voice america network back in a bit and thank you so much jennifer
2: Oh, my pleasure. I'll drop you an email. Please do. Okay. <laughs> Thanks a lot. I love Thanks. that. Be the
0: star you are. The star you
2: Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com
3: Business Bites. Here's Cynthia Bryan.
1: Normally I would call this a business bite, but today I'm calling it an animal bite. So what's the difference between moths and butterflies in evolutionary terms? Well, it's like night and day literally. Most moths are nocturnal. Butterflies are essentially moths that have evolved to be diurnal or active during the daytime. Uh, Both moths and butterflies have patterned wings, but the latter have developed brightly colored wings. These colors are codes to other butterflies, and they might signal sex or mating status to predators. They might uh, imitate a toxic or a foul-smelling or foul-tasting species, and many moths communicate differently. For example, they may supplement their wing patterns with fragrances to attract mates, or repel predators. Pretty fascinating stuff, moths and butterflies. Remember, you're the star of your own performance. Turn your passions into profits. I'm Cynthia Bryan with another business bite or an animal bite from Star Style. For more information, visit cynthiabryan.com or for more animal information, visit animalcuts.com. Be
0: the star you are. The star. Be a power partner and join our galaxy of stars. Visit our website at bethestarur.org to make a tax-deductible donation using PayPal or send checks to P.O. Box 376-376, Moraga, California, 94556. bethestarur.org. Dare to care.
1: Well, we only have a few minutes here on our power party on Star Style Be the Star You Are. And I'm Cynthia Bryan. But I really want to encourage everyone to appreciate your blessings. Be ready to feel grateful. And, you know, just make a list of all the things that you are grateful for and use your senses every day. You know, look, touch, smell, listen, taste, and slow down and just appreciate your surroundings and all the little things that you have. Also, I want to give a few um, things to watch out for if you are in an area where the weather is cool. Some things that you may want to uh, watch are if there are ice melting products like rock salt or de-icing chemicals, and for your pets, this could be dangerous and uh, hazardous could have them have some irritation so spritz your dog's feet and if they ingest anything um, you want to make sure that you call your vet keep in mind that antifreeze is deadly for humans and for pets so if there's any spills or leaks immediately clean them up because it might smell good and you don't want any of your pets to be licking any of that and then keep your Pets protected for both heat and uh, cold weather. When it's hot, make sure they have plenty of shade and water. In uh, Jennifer's book, Rescuing Ladybugs, so many of the animals that she or her friends help rescue were in in cages or places where they had no food, no water, no shelter. Like she, uh, porcupines and and um, and well, the different animals. You'll just have to read the book. So make sure to keep your pets protected from cold or heat and then always give them a little extra food during any winter months because calories are burned just trying to maintain body heat. Uh, If it's cold out, frostbite risk areas are your pet's ears, nose, tip of the tail and initially the skin can turn red and then it can become gray so if you want to treat the frostbite give your pet a warm bath or wrap them up in warm toll, you know, toys. Homemade meals for your pet can be healthy and cost effective as long as you know what the ingredients are and that you make sure that you you are acting in the pet's best interest. So those are just a few pet things. And I wanted to say one last thing about the book. If you were a fan of Flipper, uh, she has a wonderful story in there about Flipper and how it was filmed for TV, and about the dolphin Kathy. And it'll it broke my heart to find out how Kathy ended her life. So don't participate in these activities that you have to pay to see these animals because they're probably not cared for properly. Well, thank you so much for being great listeners and allowing me into your life every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. Pacific. Make sure you're always tuned to Voice America. We have wonderful hosts and wonderful shows. And Express Yourself, Teen Radio is on Tuesdays at noon Pacific. For more information about anything I'm doing, please visit cynthiabryan.com or to get any of my books, cynthiabryan.com forward slash online hyphen store. You can just find it at the website or just go to Be the Star you are.org because the money does benefit the charity. My aim is always to encourage, inspire, inform, amuse, and motivate. So see beyond your physical being and know you are already the star you dreamed of becoming. Cherish the past, dream of the future, and celebrate every moment of your life. And if you read a book this week, pick up Rescuing Ladybugs, or you could pick up The Divinity of Dogs or God Stories, also written by Jennifer Skiff. And until next week. When we celebrate once again, remember that love always wins, kindness always prevails, and smiles will keep us happy. Be grateful, be appreciative, and always be here. My name is Cynthia Bryan for Star Style. I thank you and encourage you to be the star you are. Thanks so much for joining me.
0: Be the star you are. The star you are.
3: It's been a pleasure bringing you our life-changing program Star Style Be The Star You Are. We have you on our radar as it's our goal to inspire, inform, entertain, and motivate you to be the star you were born to be. For more information, visit StarStyleRadio.com. And to make a donation to the charity, go to BeTheStarYouAre.org. Ignite the flame that burns brightly within. Take charge of your life and coach yourself to success with our dynamic host and empowerment architect, Cynthia Bryan, every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for another serving of champagne for the spirit and a power boost to live with star style until we celebrate together next week be the star you are